Welcome, everyone. Welcome. My name's Deborah Lennis. I'm a very, 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 very proud Durable woman, a local elder. I'm also the cultural advisor at Inner West Council. These podcasts are about history and learning where you live, what you can do. And as I often say, Australia has, yes, a very black history, but there is no white history. What we have is a shared history. So, on behalf of the Gadigal and Wongal peoples of the Eora Nation, I'd like to say, Birawagal, Naninya, Birawagal, welcome, everyone, welcome. Sydney, capital of New South Wales. Sydney's story is full of unique things. Building a bridge in Sydney over a harbour too. Famous things. And overlooking the famous harbour, Sydney Opera House. Iconic things. One of Australia's most iconic landmarks, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Tall things. Sydney Tower. The instantly recognisable soaring symbol has changed names. Oh, I remember this. I know a place... Hang on a minute. Why does the harbour hog all the icons? This is Inner West Icons, the other side of Sydney. I'm Bernie Hobbs, long time, long time Inner Westie. Come with me to the Inner West, Gadigal Wongal country. Now grab your broomstick and hold on tight because we are going to the witches' houses of Annandale find out how the witches' houses got their nickname. Witches' house seems like a strong and powerful place. How they inspire us. I wanted to write a gothic ghost story and I was trying to think where to set it. The fight to save them. The reason we were formed was the application to council to demolish two of the houses in the witch house group. What famous and not-so-famous Australians lived in them and the most wonderful views of Sydney. Gorgeous, fabulous views. And why the witches' houses might have been Australia's first ever real estate display homes. There were a real range of styles and images that were available there. Yeah, of course witches still exist. They live in Annandale. You can find the witches' houses at 258 to 272 Johnston Street, Annandale. Just down the road is Annandale North Primary School. And the houses are such a local landmark, they've been written into the school song. And that's how we'll introduce the witches' houses to you. Hello, my name is Jane Fox. I'm the assistant principal here at Annandale North. We sing the school song at every school event. The witches' houses play a part in that song. They are our sports houses. Claremont, Hockington, Highroyd and... I need to sing. Um, Hockington, Kenilworth, Highroyd and Claremont Link us to the past while we're living in today one community strong and caring Annandale North on the hill near the bay So the witches' houses are fancy enough to have their own name 
Hockington, Kenilworth, Hyroid and Claremont, Oiben and Grebe, there wasn't room for you in the song. And Roselle, we'll hear about you later. Seven witches' houses on the hill near the bay. So why are they called the witches' houses? Vanessa Berry is a writer and artist who works with history, memory and archives. One of her books is Mirror Sydney, an Atlas of Reflections. So the wide street that runs through the centre of Annandale, at the very end, on the high ridgeline of the land, there's a row of houses which are called the Witches' Houses. They're called that because of their pointy spires, which look like witches' hats. The Witches' Houses are not only a landmark for the local school and suburb of Annandale, they're a landmark of the Inner West. And a landmark does what it says. It marks the land in some way by standing out from the things around it. They're very striking and they're set quite high above the street. They do seem like they've been dropped in from the pages of a fairy tale or at least from some other world. They have a storybook quality about them. Vanessa Berry points out that we also choose our own landmarks and they connect us to a place. They're personal landmarks. I look for them whenever I go by, say, if I'm driving by or if I'm on the light rail. I'll just look and see that they're there. There's a lot of places that are like that for me and some of them are fairly mundane and other ones are more striking. But I kind of navigate places through these personal landmarks and I think a lot of people do that like we have places that are significant to us or ones that we just find interesting aesthetically and that's one of the ways that we connect with place by making these personal maps of landmarks that mean something to us but I think the witches houses would be on quite a lot of people's personal maps because they're they're pretty hard to ignore Oh, I had decided I wanted to write a gothic ghost story and I was trying to think where to set it. Belinda Morell is an award-winning, internationally published author who's written over 35 books for kids and teenagers. At the time, my sister, Kate, was actually living in Annandale. I'd drive over to see her and I'd drive past the Abbey and I'd drive past the witches' houses and I was just so inspired by the architecture. It was just so incredibly gothic and just was really fascinated by the buildings and I thought, oh yes, this would make a great place to set a story about a haunted house. That story became The Ivory Rose, published in 2015. Ivory Rose is a story of a modern-day girl called Gemma, and Gemma's just landed this fantastic job where she's babysitting a little girl called Sammy, and Sammy's mum and Sammy are living in this big old house, and it's one of the witches' houses of Annandale. This house is really old and run down and decrepit and spooky, and all the neighbourhood kids think that this house is haunted. It's supposed to be haunted by the ghost of a little girl who was murdered over 100 years ago. So every time Gemma goes to the house, she has these kind of spooky, creepy feelings. 
One day she's playing hide and seek with Sammy in this big old house. She runs, she gets to the top of the stairs in the old house. She runs down the stairs, she falls down, she hits her head and when she wakes up she's gone back in time over 100 years. It's 1895 and she's there still at the old house but she's gone back in time and she's stuck there in the past. The witches' houses are on Gadigal country. Colonial records of the original landscape describe stringy bark trees, black butts and red gums of enormous size. The Eora women used the shallow bays near Annandale for fishing in their Nawi or canoes. The women fished in all weather and at all times of day. They sung as they paddled the water. One local landmark of this time would have been middens on the Annandale and Roselle foreshore. Stephen Gapps is a historian and museum curator. He's especially interested in the frontier wars, the conflict between Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders, and the British colonisers. Stephen Gapps is author of The Sydney Wars, Conflict in the Early Colonies, 1788 to 1817. As we know, middens were piles of oyster shells and other seafood shells. The middens were also often huge piles that have been described as almost artistic um, sculptures. Um, and they had, they had other significance. They weren't just rubbish piles of discarded shells. They had other significance for Aboriginal people as well. Colonists found them to be a great source of lime for making mortar but also would have been a significant you know, element on, on, the, um, on the landscape. And I think that's one thing we tend to, to forget, that this, this was a place where the Europeans often missed the landscape. They missed the artwork. They missed the incredibly detailed presence of Aboriginal people. They just saw it as bush to be conquered. The area we know as Annandale was close to the original British camp of 1788 at Sydney Cove. Stephen Gapps uses journal entries written by men on the First Fleet, like Lieutenant Bradley, to piece together what was happening in the Inner West at this time. A mix of communication and miscommunication, exchange and conflict between the Sydney Aboriginal people and the colonists. Going back to Lieutenant Bradley's journal, you see a pattern that builds during 1788. And you see that the conflict is not just about convicts taking Aboriginal people's possessions, such as canoes, to use for their rush cutting. The conflict becomes much more um, determined, I suppose, where the, the colonists and Bradley are writing that people are standing on the foreshores around here, um, further up the harbour as well, towards Ride, and they're throwing spears at anyone who turns up. This increasing conflict occurs. The incredibly terrible thing that happens is the smallpox epidemic in 1789. Just a year after the colonists are here, conflict is building up. And then suddenly smallpox hits. The Aboriginal population is decimated by at least 50%, if not 80%. So imagine all around the inner west, the colonists describing dead bodies, 
lying on the beaches, in caves, around the foreshores, hundreds and hundreds of people. Imagine what would have happened here if smallpox hadn't have occurred. Looking at Bradley's journal, you just see the conflict escalating to a point where I think the colonists would have been forced to either get serious about their military or have some kind of formal negotiations, potentially. But that didn't occur. One of the things that did occur is that the land of today's suburbs of Annandale and Stanmore was taken from the Sydney Aboriginal people. It was given to a first fleeter, Captain George Johnston, in a series of land grants in the 1790s. Compared to the rest of inner Sydney, this rocky area pretty much stayed as farmland for 100 years. Author Belinda Morell did lots of historical research for her book set in a fictional witch's house. It was originally um, the Johnson Farm and then in the the late 19th century, um, as Sydney was growing bigger, the land was bought by an entrepreneur and a builder called John Young. John Young was a really interesting man. I mean, he had trained as an architect and he came over here. My name is Norma Perry and I moved into the house Oiban in 2008 and I bought it with my husband when I fell in love with it. Norma Perry and Beverly Walsh, a current Witches House resident, wrote and published two journals of local history, one about Ennendale and one on the Witches Houses. There's links on the website. John Young was noted for his building. He was into big projects and the development of North Annandale was actually the largest transaction of freehold property ever made in the Australian colonies to 1877. And it was in the region of £120,000 or in 2012 dollars, so I'm sure it's a bit more now, about £14.4 million. He decided he wanted to create this amazing estate for very wealthy people. He was envisaging it being like a double bay. For non-Sydney siders, or for inner Westies who would never leave the inner West, I mean, really, why would you? Double Bay is a fancy part of Sydney. It's chock full of mansions on big blocks. They had wanted a a nice big broad street that went right down the middle. And so he made the streets really wide. And in fact, it was extended so that it was as wide as Parramatta Road. And that's why it looks so grand. He made the blocks really big. And then to show future house owners what could be done, he decided to build the first houses. And as Belinda Morell says... John Young didn't build just any old houses. He loved that Gothic style. So they have turrets and gargoyles and lions and towers and they're just so beautifully over the top. By 1890, all seven witches' houses are built. Hockingdon, Kenilworth, Highroyd and Claremont, Oiben and Greba and Roselle. Huge, impressive houses to suit the big blocks and wide streets and grand vision John Young had for Annandale. With their towers and spires up high on the ridge, they can be seen for miles around, 
even from Sydney Harbour when you're out on a ferry. In fact, Norma Perry argues that the witches' houses were Australia's first display homes. John Young was deeply involved in the development of each of those houses, display homes really, and particularly I think that's the term that you can use for the witches' houses because there were a real range of styles and images that were available there. So it, it, it catered to everybody, you know, tastes varied from kind of enormously cute and effective cottagey kind of thing to rustic Romanesque down to really tall towers, just a range of display houses. But there was a problem. Annandale was not Double Bay. In the 1870s and 1880s, if you strolled down the wide Grand Johnston Street, down towards Johnston's Bay and Sydney Harbour, it got a lot less grand. Oh, that smells terrible. Oh, that must be the soap works. Not smelling of soap. Ugh, the tannery. Ugh. The foreshores of Annandale and nearby Glebe were full of stinky factories. Just keep walking. That's why the rich people lived in Double Bay. There was a great depression in the 1890s and John Young lost a lot of his money. And so these grand building sites weren't taken up as he'd hoped. And so then what he had to do is he had to divide them to much, much smaller little blocks and he sold them off as working class cottages. So you had this sort of grand swathe of huge historic mansions, like little chicks all around the hens were these tiny little workers' cottages. Belinda Morell brings this history into her book set in a witch's house. So that when Gemma went back in time, her beautiful renovated house in Brylat Street was actually a slum where there was four or five families living there. There were entire families living in her mum's study. Um, And so I just wanted to get across this incredible poverty that people had in the 1890s, but so close to this incredible wealth of the people who lived in the witch's houses. And it was just pre-Federation. And of course, we had Sir Henry Parks living in Kenilworth. So that was another element I could bring in was Sir Henry Parks' fight for education for the poor people, his fight to bring Australia together as a nation. And then I had a little bit of fun with Gemma meeting Sir Henry Parks and telling him about what would happen and telling him that New Zealand would never be part of Australia and that one day we would have a female prime minister. And he's saying, oh, for goodness sake, that should never happen. And so I did have a little bit of fun with that. So the father of Federation himself and former Premier of New South Wales, Sir Henry Parks, lived and died in Kenilworth, one of the witches' houses. Good day. I'm Nick Lloyd and I'm president of the Annandale Association. Check this this gem of a recording. It's an old community radio program from 1977. We'll talk with spare time Potter, prolific letter writer and foundation secretary, Betty Mason. Betty, tell us, when was the Annandale Association founded and what was the impetus for starting it? It was founded in November 1969. We had our inaugural meeting at the Annandale Council Chambers. The reason we were formed, the immediate reason, was 
the application to council to demolish two of the houses in the Witch House group in Johnson Street and to erect two eight-storey blocks of flats. We opposed this as well as we could. We were not very experienced in those days. We mounted quite a successful campaign through the press and the radio. We gained the support of quite a wide section of the population of the National Trust of the Royal Australian Historical Society and of some council aldermen. Well, I noticed that um, there are not, in fact, two eight-storey blocks of flats on that site, but there, there is one block of flats, a smaller block. What, what happened? Well, that was the compromise. Perhaps not a very fortunate one, but I think perhaps the best we could manage. The council changed and the buildings changed hands and the compromise reached was that Oiban, next the Abbey, should be preserved and restored and that the flats should occupy part of the site where Oiban stands and all of the adjoining property. So we lost one building and we have a block of flats there, but not as high as they could have been. Well, we didn't uh, win that battle, but uh, the war goes on. That was announcer Nick Lloyd and Betty Mason, secretary of the Annandale Association. The loss of that battle meant that the witch's house Roselle, the twin of Greba, was demolished and flats were built. The Annandale Association successfully lobbied against the demolition of other historic buildings and stopped two expressways ploughing through Annandale. Legends! The National Trust honoured Betty Mason, saying she continued to promote and protect the wealth of heritage-listed buildings in the area until she was well into her final years. Betty Mason loved the heritage of Annandale so much that she made a quilt of it with fabric illustrations, including a witch's house. You can see the quilt on our website, innerwesticons.com. In 1968, Claremont was demolished and replaced with more flats. Five of the original witches' houses now remained, Kenilworth, Oiban, Highroyd, Hockingdon and Greba. But they were a shadow of their former selves. In another life, in another time, with another name, I lived in the witches' houses. Elizabeth Rankin. But Kenilworth... At that stage, I wouldn't call it a boarding house because it wasn't. It was flats to rent, all in a state of fairly significant disrepair, but it was very cheap. It would have been early 1972 that I moved there. I think I was five months pregnant. So that the 90 steps I used to travel up to our tiny, tiny, tiny little studio sort of apartment, if that apartment's the right word, flat's a better one, was a bit of a struggle, but I was so, what would you call it, high on hormones, I think, that I didn't notice that didn't have any hot water in the kitchen. I barely noticed that the bathroom was across the hall. I did know it was small. Probably the whole thing was about the size of a bedroom. And I think I was perfectly happy there, had the most wonderful views of Sydney gorgeous, fabulous views. The only thing was when you have a very small baby and you've got a pram to get up and down the stairs, that was a problem. So I used to spend my time like Rapunzel up in the sky. 
and I painted, I can remember, hanging out the window to try and paint the, the windowsills a really bright green, really bright lime green. And I'd look out through that window and, you know, you nurse your baby and I'd be singing to the baby in that particular little alcove. For years and years and years, I used to look up at Kenilworth to see just this faintest little pale green outline. It's hard to know when the witches' houses got their nickname, but it's a name that really stays with you. Witch is a very powerful word. Here's Vanessa Berry. And so when it's spoken, or when you read it, it is really powerful. Just in terms of its associations, the history of that word, the different interpretations of that word. And so by having that name, which on one level is a nickname, there's a sense of presence with the word. So witch's house seems like a strong and powerful place. Whether or not you want to think it's a magical power or not, it's still a really strong name and it all adds to the mythology of these houses, I think. Of course, you can just wander down Johnston Street and see the witches' houses peeking out above their high sandstone walls. And you can see photos of them on the website, right from when they were first built to now. Next up on Inner West Icons, something that is all over the Inner West. Street art and murals. I said to him, Sergeant, do I look like a graffiti artist? He thought it was so funny that a woman, well-spoken, polite, hairbrushed, could be a feral painter on the streets at night. Inner West Icons is hosted by me, Bernie Hops. It's researched, written and produced by Jane Curtis, sound engineering by John Jacobs, artwork by Dylan Tonkin, editorial brains trust was Rosa Ellen and Kate Lawrence. This podcast is made with support from Inner West Council's Community History and Heritage Program. 